week for, uh, for, for our church. Let's take our Bibles, Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus chapter 10. As we're studying our way through the book of Leviticus, I hope that you've realized that though it's a book that can be odd, is that a fair statement, odd, a little weird? It's a book that's rich. It is full of truth, it is full of meaning. It's, it's instruction. You know, that's what the, the Torah is. And when you think about it, if you go to the Psalms, like my three-year-old, part of his bedtime routine, he gets two stories. It used to be one, but then he finagled in two, and now we're stuck on two. So he gets two stories, and then we read a psalm. And we've been, he and I, going through portions of Psalm 119, just reading it. And I know he's just three, but, you know, just given that, that foundation. And so much the Psalms write about, David writes about how he delights in the law. I delight in your law. I meditate in your law. Those, those 613 commandments given, that's the law. And what's interesting is half of those commandments are in the book of Leviticus. So David is saying, I delight in Leviticus. I meditate on Leviticus. I, I, you know, that, that's, that's what David is doing. Um, for, the, for the Jews, if you, were a, uh, if you were growing up, you were a child, uh, that was actually the book they started in. So, you know, we get a, a pretty good break in New Testament, you know, 2023 Christianity. Most of the time you get saved, uh, you get handed Romans or John. If you were a Jew growing up in ancient Israel, you start in Leviticus. So there's that. You're in Leviticus chapter 10. I hope I've given you enough time now. Let's notice a passage of scripture I read this morning. Leviticus chapter 10, verses 8 through 11. And the Lord spake unto Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine nor strong drink, thou nor thy sons with thee, when you go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations that you may put, a, put difference between the holy and unholy, between the unclean and clean, and that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken unto them by the hand of Moses. Let's pray for the message this evening. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to again share some truths with this church. I pray, Lord, that you'd open our hearts and our minds to what this book has to give us. And, um, Lord, that most of all, there'd be a hunger with this congregation, as we've seen at our church, to dive in for themselves and to look for these things themselves, to study them themselves, and not just take what the preacher says, but but be like the Berean uh, church that... that Search the scriptures, whether the things were so. We pray these things in your name. Amen. As you close out Leviticus 10, you get into Leviticus chapters 11 through 15. Remember, now three messages ago, I said there were seven sections to the book of Leviticus. The first section is the offerings. The second section we looked at this morning was the consecration of the priests. The third section... That's the weird section. It's the purity laws. And what was exciting to me when I was preaching this at my church and then afterwards talking to uh, our senior group, small group leader, um, both of us had to rewrite our sermons Saturday night because we had too much to say. 
And we never thought we would actually say this. So this was actually uh, one of the sections of Leviticus I had been the most excited to teach about once I began to dig into it. So the purity laws. There are, if you've read through Leviticus, they're the ones that tell you what you can eat and not eat, what you can touch and not touch, and, and if you became unclean, what you were supposed to do about it. So let's just kind of overview these things. Uh, let me explain these categories because they do... They do build a foundation to understand the rest of the Old Testament and, quite frankly, a lot of Jesus' exchange with the Pharisees in the New Testament. So Moses, or rather uh, Aaron, is, is there after the death of his two sons. And, and in Leviticus 10, verse 8, it says, Then the Lord spake unto Aaron, saying... Now this is important to note, because this is the only section of the book where God bypasses Moses and speaks directly to Aaron. So whatever it is that God wants Aaron to get is really important for Aaron to get. And it's kind of a job description. We already know that part of the role of the priest was to offer the sacrifices and do the work of the ministry. But, but God says here, I, I want you to understand, priest, that you're to drink no wine nor strong drink, because when you go in the tabernacle, I want you to have your wits about you. I want you to, to pay attention because you're going to have the role of putting a difference between what is holy and what is unholy, between what is unclean and what is clean. So we have those four categories. Did you catch that? Holy, unholy, clean, and unclean. That gives a foundation for understanding pretty much the rest of the Old Testament and, again, part of the New Testament. So, so what is this idea of purity? What are these, these categories and, and what happens if you ended up in them? So let's talk about number one, holy. What does it mean to be holy? Well, it means to be set apart, to be put into the presence and service of God. It was to be God's. It was to be His. It was to be uh, chosen and, and sanctified and special. The nation of Israel was called his holy people. The priests were set apart for a holy task. The, the tabernacle was a holy place. But then there's this other category. It's unholy. Or you could also call it common, as it will be referred to throughout the book of Leviticus. It's unholy or, or common, or, or uh, the word the King James uses the word profane. This is kind of, you know, this is going to this is going to be you're going to roll your eyes at me, but you know what is the difference between what is holy and unholy? Well, anything that's unholy is simply that's not holy. You know, it's, it's kind of like default, just this normal, like it's just regular, uh, average. You know, and I've used the, the the word with the Israelites, you know, average Joe Schmo. So, like you had the priests, they were set apart as holy for the purpose of the tabernacle. But let's say I was part of the tribe of Judah or the tribe of Simeon. I wasn't set apart as holy to work in the tabernacle, so I wasn't allowed to go into the tabernacle. I wasn't allowed to go into the temple and, and, and do the work there. Uh, in one of the Old Testament books, one of the kings decides he's going to overstep his boundary and he's going to offer up a sacrifice in the temple and it goes very poorly for him. He ends up with leprosy for the rest of his life. I mean, so there is these distinctions that are put. Holy is set apart for God. Common or profane, it's not necessarily that it's good or that it's bad. It's just is. It's just there. It's, you know, the issue is that the common was not allowed to enter into the space that was designated for 
the holy. Then we have these other two categories, clean and unclean. Now this is where, you know, to be clean is where something that is common, not really allowed to go into something, you go into the holy place, it could at least come near the holy place. And for something that was holy, that was clean, could actually enter into the holy place. But if something was unclean, it means it couldn't go near or into the holy place. Both the priests and the rest of Israel could be clean or unclean. And if this has confused you so far, I think I have something that will help you because it helped my people. I have here a mug. It's not yours. It's my wife's. So you have to deal with her. Okay? On the outside, it is just an average, regular mug. Blue mug with rabbits on it. Do I? see. Says Gibson on the bottom. Anyway, um, on it, you know, most of you would look at this and say, oh, "It's just an average mug." You might, if you were at my house, you'd open the cupboard. You needed a cup of coffee. You might even grab this mug and and use it for coffee if you were into blue rabbits. <laughs> However, to do so would be a grave mistake. My wife despises coffee. She doesn't drink tea. She really doesn't do any hot beverages. She just, like she drinks water, and occasionally I have I've ruined her, and she'll drink Mountain Dew. But that's about it. This mug has a special purpose. Only one thing goes into this mug. Occasionally hot cocoa, but really only one thing goes in this mug. This is my wife's ice cream mug. If I were to drink coffee in this mug, that coffee would forever taint the mug. Even though I would drink water, I'm like, eh, it doesn't matter, you know. I can't taste the coffee. She would forever be able to taste that which she despises. It's like my mother-in-law can't stand coconut oil. And she can pick up like a, 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 she can't stand coconut. She can eat one of those granola bars and then like the, the ingredient is coconut oil on like 50 down the list. She can still taste it. She despises coffee. And so this is for ice cream and ice cream only. We could call it this way. This is the holy ice cream mug. It is only for the purpose of ice cream. Nothing that's not ice cream goes into this mug. I also have my water bottle. I bring this thing with me everywhere. I've covered it with stickers. I've beaten the living snot out of it. Uh, earlier, I had to wash it out because my one-year-old spat in it. I mean, it's, it's one of those things. It, it just, it's just common. Every day. Holy. Unholy. Special, common. Not bad. This is my water bottle. Have no problem drinking out of it. It's just not holy. Either one of these things could be made unclean. If they were made unclean, then this is no longer fit for its holy purpose. And if this were made unclean, then I wouldn't want to drink out of it like earlier when my one-year-old spat in it. So it would have to be cleansed before it could be used for its designated purpose purpose. So we see these categories. If you were an ancient Israelite, you could be a priest, holy, or you could be common. You could, in either case, be made unclean, and then you would have to be clean before you could come near the presence of God and do what 
you were called to do. This is what Israel is being instructed. This is what Aaron is being told here. You're going to have to be able to make a distinction between these things. So, what was the problem? The issue was not so much being common. That was fine. And even being unclean wasn't wrong. We're going to, I'm going to you know, as I go over the categories here, these things that made someone unclean, a lot of them are just kind of the facts of life. The issue was if you were in a state of being unclean and still went into the holy place. It'd be like taking this mug, drinking coffee in it, throwing ice cream in it, and then giving it to my wife. I would be taking what is special and treating it as if it's common. Taking what is holy and treating it as if it was profane. And that's what God could not stand. God wanted his people to understand the holy place it's my place. It's a special place. It's designated just for where I get to meet with you and your priests get to come minister before me and we get to have this special uh, relationship. And if you come and treat it common, it's kind of like if I were to invite you to my house and you were to go through the mud and, and trek mud into the house and wipe it all over the carpets and not care at all. Like Nobody wants that. That's the issue that... that, that you know, God is dealing with these purity laws, these things that made someone clean or unclean. So what was the problem with being unclean? What are the things that could make somebody unclean? In the book of Leviticus, from chapters 11 through 15, there are three basic categories that made someone unclean. Category number one, if you ate or touched the carcass of an unclean animal. And the whole list of them is given in Leviticus chapter 11. A lot of them are bottom feeders. A lot of them are scavengers. They're the things that, they get around death. <laughs> yeah, bacon, amen. They're the things that get around death, and that's, that's not good, because they're, you're an Israelite going to the source of life, the Lord, you know, so you couldn't touch those things and enter into the holy place. So again, eating or touching the carcasses of an unclean animal. Uh, category number two was if you came into contact with bodily fluids. And I'm going to leave it there, all right? Bodily fluids, you go and read it yourself. Category number three, if you came into contact with anything that is defined here in Leviticus as leprosy, which could be skin disease, could be mold in a house, or mildew on a garment. Three things there, coming into disease, coming into contact with bodily fluids, coming into contact with a dead, unclean animal. Any one of those three categories would make you unclean. So let's say I was coming to church and there are, there are um, you know, I'm always, let's say I was coming to the tabernacle and, and there are, you know, part of the list of unclean animals are pretty much any bug that's not, an, uh, not a, a grasshopper or a locust. And I stepped on a stink bug on my way to the tabernacle. My plans for the day have officially changed. That's, that's what it meant. I was now unclean. I had to go and, and, and get myself clean. Now, for some of these things, being clean was simply go wash your clothes, take a bath, stop being nasty, wait till the night, you know, wait, wait till it's nighttime, boom, you're clean. Others, like with leprosy, that was a little more of a, a process because you had to be healed of your leprosy first and the priest would have to look at you, examine you, not necessarily as a doctor, but just to see, hey, is this guy clean? I mean, is, is, he, is, he, is he oozing pus or, or is he healthy again? Okay, he's healthy again. We'll offer an offering. Boom, you get to come to the tabernacle. 
That's, that's kind of how these things worked. Again, these things that made somebody unclean weren't necessarily sinful. Like, let's say um, a dog died on your property. You're an ancient Israelite. You've got to move the dead dog. You were unclean. You came into bodily, you know, contact with bodily fluids. It's a fact of life. You were unclean. Uncle George gets leprosy. He's unclean. Each of these things here, what made them so much of an issue was, in a way, each of these was symbolically connected to death. It's, it's, you know, we don't have time to study it completely here. I'm going to challenge you to go back. You go to Genesis chapter 3 and look at the, the curse uh, that came after sin, the, the three things that were cursed, and then go back and study Leviticus. See how much parallels line up. Remember what I said all the way back uh, with the first sermon that, that much Leviticus, it reminded Israel that they lived in a world that was cursed by sin and was no longer you know, that beautiful Eden that Moses you know, wrote about in Genesis chapter 1 through 3. You know, it, it was a reminder of what they did not have and what they could long for again. It's the same with these purity rules. What's beautiful about the purity laws, though, for us, they're probably the most technical part of the whole book of Leviticus. But these purity laws, even here, beautifully point to our Savior, Jesus Christ. In fact, the whole book, actually the whole Bible, is about Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, he is the main character and he is pointed to or pointed back to or spoken of on every page. It's all about him. Even something which seems so odd to us as these laws, these rules, and yet still Jesus is, Jesus is seen here. Because when Jesus comes on the scene, he cleans the unclean. There are three, three, these three categories where Jesus uh, comes into contact with unclean things. And I said, a, a reference Hebrews chapter 10, I think that's the next one there, Chris. Uh, verse 1, it says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. Again, it starts with this introduction, the law has a shadow of good things to come. It points to these good things to come. The law served as instruction of what would be in Jesus. And when Jesus came on this earth, the Bible tells us he fulfilled the law. Not just in the fact that he kept it. I think that's too shallow of an understanding of what that word fulfill. Jesus not only kept the law, he completed it. He satisfied the demands of the law like nothing else ever could, and this includes these purity laws. So let me demonstrate with three stories. I have 11 minutes, and I will be done. Story number one, Jesus cleanses the leper. In Mark uh, chapter 1, verses 40 and 45, And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Jesus moved with compassion, notice this, put forth his hand and touched him and saith unto him, I will be 
thou clean. Now, in Old Testament Israel, under the law, if you had leprosy, or if you touched somebody who had leprosy, you were unclean. So by all reason, Jesus should have been unclean. But he wasn't. Jesus cleansed the unclean leper. See, Jesus, he was God. <laughs> he was the Holy One of Israel coming to dwell in the midst of his people in a way that they'd never seen before. He walked amongst them. He ate with them. He, he was surrounded by corruption, but never once did he fall to that corruption. And when Jesus came into contact with things that were marked by death, the source of life cleansed it. He healed it. He made it whole. That's what he does. That's just who he is. He just he makes people whole. That's, that's his nature. Just as I mentioned the holy aspect of God this morning, how uh, sin could not exist before his holiness, just like darkness cannot exist before light. Hey, Jesus can't touch a situation that he does not make whole again. That's just who he is. That's what he does. He put forth his hand, and he touched this leper, and he said, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. And he straightly charged him, and forthwith sent him away, and saith unto him, See that thou sayest nothing to any man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, that's here in Leviticus 11 through 15, go back and read it yourself, and offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. And for this man, he went out, began to publish it much, and to blaze abroad the matter in so much that Jesus could no more openly enter the city, but was without in desert places, and they came to him from every corner. Here's another story from the book of Mark, in Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 34, and I'll just reference it because I'm running out of time. We find where Jesus heals a woman with an issue of blood. One of the leaders of the synagogue comes, his name is Jairus, and Jairus, he has a request of Jesus. He says, my little girl is dying, but if you come, she'll be well. Now, as Jesus is trying to go, as, as we saw here in Mark chapter 1, uh, by now Mark chapter uh, 5 comes along, people just, they throng him. And the crowds are around him, and he, he can't get where he needs to go because of the crowds, and and there's a woman there, and this woman, she had been afflicted with this disease. We don't know exactly what it was, but it caused her to bleed. And she'd been going through this horrible process for 12 long years. And the Bible says that this woman, she had been to the doctors, she'd been to the physicians, the specialists, and she had spent all that she had. She had nothing left. This was her last hope. This was her last chance to go to this Jesus. And, and she knew if she could just touch the hem of his garment, she would be made whole. And she did. She touched his garment. Again, under Leviticus, you know, the Levitical priesthood, uh, Levitical you know, law, the purity law, Jesus would have been unclean. But that's not how things work. Not with Jesus. This woman who had been suffering for so long, the moment she touched the hem of his garment, she was made whole again. You see now, even these technical purity laws 
would one day testify of the power and wonder of the Son of God coming into the world? There's one more. This one is after Jesus' death, his burial and resurrection. This doesn't necessarily involve Jesus cleansing bacon. That's not part of the Bible. We don't have holy bacon. That's unfortunate. You know, we don't have holy shrimp scampi, but, you know. But the unclean animals, they are used to illustrate something in the Bible. In Acts chapter 10, Peter, the apostle, is praying on a rooftop. And as he is praying, he, he enters this trance-like state and he sees a vision. In this vision, this sheet comes down and it's full of all sorts of animals. Unclean animals. Pigs and... Um, uh, right now, my mind's thinking of seafood, so lobster, you know. My, my, my brother-in-law moved to Mississippi, you know, so crawdad. We, we were down there, and, and they had these things called royal reds. They're these big, fat shrimp. I mean, it was good. This whole tent, this whole uh, tarp, this sheet comes down. And it's full of these unclean animals. This voice comes from heaven and says, rise, kill, and eat. But Peter says in Acts chapter 10, verse 14, Not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. I, I don't eat those unclean things. I'm a good Jew. The voice spake, again, un, uh, spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. This was done thrice. So three times he sees this vision, these animals that come down, and the voice says, Rise, kill and eat. You know, Get some pork chops. Eat some bacon. I can't, Lord. I, I've never eaten anything unclean. And it says, what God has cleansed, that call not thou common. When Peter wakes up, there is a man there. He is sent by a Roman centurion. His name is Cornelius. Cornelius is a God-fearing man. He's a, he is uh, praying. He's trying to know the true God of the creator of heaven and earth. But Cornelius has something going against him. Cornelius is a Gentile. And especially in Jesus' days, uh, Jesus' day, the, the, the Gentiles were untouchables. A good Jew wouldn't eat under a Gentile's roof. A good Jew wouldn't stay with a Gentile. A good Jew probably wouldn't even share a meal with a Gentile. They were unclean. They were seen as dogs. They were seen as unclean animals. But God was about to do something incredible that day. See, God had a special plan for Peter. Peter was going to follow these men to Cornelius' house, and, and, and he was going to proclaim the gospel for the first time to the Gentiles. The kingdom of God would be open not just to the Jews, but to all the world. It would fulfill the words that Jesus said to Nicodemus that night in John chapter 3, verse 16, where he said, For God so loved the world, not just the Jew. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In this action, using these unclean animals, again, the gospel is declared in the purity laws. So, I'm going to conclude here. What's the life lesson? 
What is, what is the instruction? Really, I just want to glorify God for a moment. Is that okay? I want to point out, we're, even in these Old Testament laws, I guess application here, if you've not received Jesus as your Savior, come to Him. He'll cleanse you just as He cleansed the leper. Your soul, your, he'll, he'll save you. He'll, he'll give you a new home in heaven, a new destiny. He, you'll, you'll be a child of God. He'll adopt you as His own. If you are a Christian, be the holy person you're meant to be. There's so many verses I could read. Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. They all just reflect this, you know, repeat the same thing. Hey, we're, we're holy. But I covered that this morning. No, tonight... I just want to just point out how good God is. This plan of salvation, it wasn't done in a corner. It wasn't, you know, God was shuffling a cosmic deck of cards and, oh, I accidentally drew the salvation card. He'd been planning this from the foundation of the world. He'd been setting it up all the way from Genesis, Exodus, and then Leviticus here. And it was all fulfilled in a person, our Savior. Jesus Christ. Let's stand together, heads bowed, eyes are closed. Relin, I went 31 minutes. I apologize.